Okay, I am well aware that what I'm going to tell you probably says more about me than anything else, but every time I watch the movie Titanic, you know the scene when they spot the iceberg, they reverse the engines, they start trying to turn to get out of the way of the iceberg, and then, of course, they hit? I, th I think it's the suspense that the filmmakers were able to build in that scene, but every time I see that, I always think to myself, somewhere back in my mind, I think, maybe this time, <laughs> maybe this time they will miss it. Maybe this time they're not going to hit the iceberg. And, and, and I think there's just something within me and, and maybe within all of us that hopes for a different outcome in life, that hopes that maybe this time things will be better. You know, the Titanic was sunk by that iceberg on April 14th, 1912. And it was a day later, early in the morning on the 15th, that a chief steward of another ship traveling in the same lane spotted an iceberg and took a picture of it because it, he noticed a, a long stripe of red paint down the side of the iceberg. So he took a photo. We have a photo of what is most likely the iceberg that the Titanic hit. And unfortunately, there's nothing to compare size, but best guess is that that iceberg is somewhere between, well, 50 and 100 feet tall and 200 and 400 feet wide. But you realize that's just what's above the surface. 90% of the mass of an iceberg is below the surface. You never see it. And that's where the power and that's where the danger came for the Titanic from a strength that you never see. And so we ask the question, what's below the surface? What's below the surface? Because we realize that what we can see is above the surface and there has to be more to the story. That's true of icebergs and that needs to be true of you and me. We judge, we judge other people by what we can see, by what we can see on the surface. Sometimes we do the same for ourselves. And we think, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I, I go to church occasionally. I read my Bible occasionally. I give. I try to be helpful. But the question we need to ask of ourselves is what's underneath? What's below the surface? Where do we find our real strength? Where do we find our power? Many years ago, a young man came to me and his marriage was in trouble. His wife had left him and he desperately wanted her back. And he told me that he would do anything it took to get his wife back. He said he would even start going to church and he would even start reading his Bible. And I said, you know, those are, those are wonderful things to do. And obviously I think those things are important, but what are you going to do to work on your relationship? And ultimately, what are you going to do to work on yourself? Because this split did not happen because you weren't going to church. I said, are you going to put in the time in the relationship? Are you going to put in some, some counseling for yourself and for you and your wife? And he didn't see that as important. He felt like all he needed to do was get into church and maybe read his Bible. And I have to appreciate that on some level because... That's what he saw successfully married Christian people doing. He knew they went to church. He knew they read their Bibles. He knew that they prayed before meals. And he saw that as 
all that it took, because that's, well, all that he could see. Well, eventually they, they did get back together, and they came to church once. They came to church twice, and then we never saw them again. Not really sure what happened to the relationship after that. Now, I'm not telling you that going to church and reading your Bible are not important, because we know that those things are very important. But I would have to ask, what's beneath the surface? What is underneath? Is there any depth of character? Is there any depth of commitment from which you find your strength, from which you find your power? You see, what was so destructive to the Titanic was not what was above the surface. It was that 900 feet of ice below the surface that anchored that iceberg in place that made it immovable when that massive ship hit it. If your life is going to have any power, if your life is going to have any strength, you've got to look at what's below, what's under the surface. Is there any substance there? Is there anything that will anchor you to your hope in Christ? Now, we find questions like that in the little letter from James that you find in your Bible. It's five chapters long. It's tucked in the back of your New Testament, right after the book of Hebrews and right before Peter's letters. We find the book of James. Now, church history tells us that this was written by James, Jesus's little brother. James the Just, we call him. He was not a follower of Jesus during Jesus's lifetime on earth, but later in the book of Acts, we find James to be one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And what we have in these five chapters of the book of James is some of the earliest Christian writing available. In fact, it's believed to be the oldest book of the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament that was written. And at its heart, we find this call to look below the surface and to ask ourselves some hard questions about what's really there. You hear it from the very first verse. James chapter 1, verse 1, he introduces himself. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. It's very interesting because the picture of the church that James paints as he begins his letter is he sees the church as a type of Israel. Uh, not Israel at its peak, not Israel led by King David, not Israel unified with power and peace, but Israel torn apart, Israel scattered among the nations, Israel wandering, lost and alone, far from home and at times far from God. He compares the church to the Jewish people in, in their darkest days, the days of the dispersion. And he asks the question, do you have the strength to stand firm? Do you have the strength to continue? We read on in verse 2 where James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Did you hear that in verse 2? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This little book is not full of passages that you're going to 
put on your refrigerator. You're not going to stick verses from James in greeting cards to help people feel better. This is not a book full of rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This is not that you know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you. That's not in this little letter. James is quick to get to the heart and ask the tough questions. Ask the tough questions of your heart, of my heart. What is below the surface? What is anchoring you to your faith when trials and testings come? Will you hold on? What will make you steadfast? And the warning for each one of us is you won't find that strength above the surface. If your faith is going to stand, if you're going to get through times of difficulty, you've got to go deep below. Again, verse 4, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Steadfastness. Your, your Bible might say endurance. Your Bible might say perseverance. All of those are good words, but these are not nice promises of the peace that passes all understanding. These are not nice little promises. This is a call to stand firm under the stresses and the strains of life and the struggles that you face. It's a call to let your faith be real and concrete and to get you through those struggles. But the promise at the end is that you will be complete lacking nothing. And then you get to the very next verse. And verse 5 begins with, if any one of you lacks wisdom, wait a minute, James, you just promised that we were going to lack nothing. But no, he goes right into it. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is hard stuff. This is hard. This is a challenge. The challenge is to ask ourselves, what are we really devoted to? Uh, are we, are we double-minded? Are we having divided loyalties? Are we unstable, conflicting within ourselves? Or do we find our hope in Christ? Do we find our hope in Christ or do we find our hope in this world? Do we find our hope in the world system? Do we find our hope in what this world promises? Do we find our hope in this world's politics even? Or are we wholeheartedly holding on to hope that is found only in Jesus Christ? Verse 9 continues, Let the lowly boast in his exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and the flowers fall and the beauty perishes. So also will be the rich man. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James is asking the question, what are our pursuits? Are we putting our trust in the wealth that we can have, that we can amass for ourselves? Is that where our hope is? And James quickly dismisses wealth as a source of promise. 
Again, uh, we're not looking for easy answers. We're not looking for the comforts of life in the letter of James. We're facing the reality that faith calls us to dig in deeper, to find our hope in Christ. That requires wisdom. That requires humility. And that requires the ability to hold on tight through the trials, through the challenges of life. And that's why after the challenging us, after challenging us with the steadfastness in verse 4, James is able to promise in verse 12, blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It's not an easy promise. It's not a casual faith. It's not something that we pick up once in a while, maybe in this season, maybe in that, or maybe occasionally we, we show up. Faith is work. Faith is deep. It is hard work. It's not just remembering to pray occasionally when we think about it. It's not just about going to church when we feel like it. If it's going to stand, it has to be something deeper. It has to be something below the surface. It has to be a faith foundation that stands through the storm. Verse 4 issued that call to steadfastness, to holding on through the difficulties of life. Verse 12 sandwiches that together with the promise of steadfastness, the promise of a crown of life, the promise of hope. And in between those two, we find faith, we find wisdom, we find humility, we find a lifetime call to faithfulness, to make it through the most difficult situations of life with a depth of faith that holds you firm. So that when you look below the surface, you find Jesus there. 2020 was hard. It was, it was hard on, on so many of us. And in many ways, it feels like that year took so much from us. But in reality, what, what did 2020 really take from us as the church? Well, we weren't able to come together in person. For a few months. We weren't able to attend church the way we'd like. We weren't able to gather. In other words, it took the stuff that was above the surface, the stuff that we see, the stuff that other people see, the stuff that honestly makes us all look good. But what you and I need to see is that in a very real way, what 2020 revealed was what was below the surface, or perhaps more properly, what wasn't below the surface. 2020 hurt, not because we didn't have a stockpile of toilet paper in our homes. One of our biggest hurts was in the revelation that we didn't have an abundance of faith to start with. You know, in the last few years, as studies have been done on churches and church attendance, one one factor that has continued to amaze me is that when they ask questions of people of whether or not they attend church regularly, regular church attendance for the majority of the people in our country, regular church attendance is not about once a week. Regular church attendance is considered once a month. 
once every every four weeks so one out of every three sermons one out of every three worship services one out of every three times of fellowship people people are there anything that comes up takes precedence it seems whether it's sports whether it's family whether it's vacation church seems to always take second place and so I have to ask questions about other things. What about prayer? Does prayer take second place in our lives? Does reading our Bible take second place in our lives? If this is how we treat the things that are above the surface, what are we doing about the things that are below the surface? Our devotion, our faithfulness to Christ, our love for one another, the things that people don't always see. What's happening underneath? We fooled ourselves into believing that as long as we were here, as long as we were showing up once in a while, we were okay, we were comfortable, we were happy, and we didn't need to worry about the hard stuff. But James says in verses 16 through 18, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, uh, from whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Uh, of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. The salvation that we know is a gift from God. That is 100% true. It is a gift of God. You can count on that. It is good. It is perfect. But James says it comes like firstfruits. First fruits need to be nurtured, don't they? If something's going to grow, it needs to be planted, it needs to be cared for, it needs to be tended, it needs to go through the, the tough weather sometimes to come out and to, to blossom and to grow with roots that go deep to hold you in place in the worst of storms. All of this is difficult. And it's a long process of growing your faith, of letting your faith deepen, but you can't miss how James begins this passage. Again, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James begins with joy. And in the face of trials, in the face of pain, in the face of struggles, in the face of a, of a bad year, in the face of sickness, in the face of turmoil, and, and just the, the struggles that we're having in our world? Are you putting in the hard work of growing your faith? But he says in the end, the response is joy because of what you have held on to, because of what, because of what now holds on to you and holds you firm through the deepest and the most difficult of struggles. You know, I've, I've often said in years past, I've often said, everyone gets one really bad day. And when that one really bad day hits, that day when you lose someone, that day when there's bad news, that day when your world seems to fall apart, everyone gets one really bad day. And the question is, what's going to survive that day? What happens when it's a bad year? 
What happens when it's a really bad year? Uh, wouldn't you love to know that you have spent the time, that you've given the energy to the things that were below the surface, the things that are going to hold you firm? Uh, that when the trials of various kinds hit, you will stand steadfast because of what you've built, because of what Jesus has built within you, and that you will come out the other side with joy. You know, if you flip back just a little bit from the book of James, if you flip back just from my Bible, it's just another page to, to Hebrews. Hebrews is the letter that precedes James. If you flip back to Hebrews and to the end of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 2, chapter 12, verse 2 calls us to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy that was set before him was the thought of getting to spend eternity with you. That gave Jesus endurance. That gave him the steadfastness to do what he had to do this year. Let's go deep in our faith. Go deep in your faith. Find that steadfastness. And when you do, you will know that kind of joy. We come to the table every week to remind ourselves of what Jesus endured, of what he persevered through, what held him steadfast. We come to remind ourselves of what he gave up on the cross for us, that his body was broken, his blood was shed. Let's not forget, let's not forget the faith that called him to the cross. Let's not forget the faith that calls us to go deep. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the table, we open ourselves up to you today. And we invite you to look below the surface. Lord, beneath the things that other people can see, the good things we do, the, the good places we go, Father, look deep below and see what there is underneath. And we allow ourselves to be opened up to you that you might know us as we desire to know you. We thank you for we thank you for Jesus giving himself on the cross. We thank you for the bread that reminds us of his body, the, uh, the cup that reminds us of his blood. And we thank you so much for the promise, knowing that what we receive in our salvation, it is a good gift from you. And we love you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. It's going to be an interesting few weeks going through the book of James. I, I hope you can hold on tight as we go deep together. God bless. Go in peace.